Well, good morning, everybody. How's it going today? Are you sure? All right. I, I walked in. I was meeting with the Discover class. It's, they're doing their second week today, so I walked in, and some, so it's, I'm not here from the beginning, so I'm not sure. You're doing okay today? Okay, I'm going to work on you. Uh, I'm gonna, we're we're going to get okay. Hey, it's great to see all of you here, and I, and I am thrilled that you are here, and uh, I am excited to be going through the uh, 13th chapter of the story today. And I brought something up here with me to, I wanted to show you guys today, and it's going to help us kind of illustrate um, what, uh, what chapter 13 is, is all about. Do you guys like frogs? I know that's an odd question. You're like, I didn't wake up this morning thinking I was going to be asked that question. But do you guys like frogs? I mean, I, I, this is a little frog. Now, for those of you that um, can't quite see it, but this is not a real frog. I did not bring a real frog. And if you're watching online right now, this is not a real frog. So um, and let me say hi to my mom. She's watching down in Oklahoma today. So hi, mom. Um, anyway, uh, I wanted to tell you, I brought a frog up here because I think it will illustrate for us kind of what chapter 13 is, is, is all about. I, I've never done it. And quite honestly, I don't even know if this is true or not. But are you familiar with the story or the metaphor of the boiling frog? It goes something like this, that if you take a frog and you put the frog in a pot of boiling water, what will the frog do? It will jump out. But they say that if you take a frog and you put him in a pot of lukewarm water and the frog will get comfortable in there, that as you gradually turn the heat up, the frog will not pick up and sense the incremental changes in its environment, and eventually the frog will cook to death. Have you heard that story before? Like I said, I don't know if it's true or not, whether it's true or not, I don't even, um, it's really not my point. But I do believe it is the perfect metaphor for what's happening in chapter 13 today. The metaphor is, is a powerful one, and if you're familiar with it, then you know what it is. It, it's a description of people who either have the inability or the unwillingness to notice that things around them are changing and they fail to react. They fail to be aware of the changes that are hurting them. And they say people are a lot like the frog who's put in a lukewarm pot of water and the heat rises. People can be like that and not understand what's going on around them. That is a perfect example of what's happening to King Solomon in chapter 13 of the story. Solomon gets himself into a pot of lukewarm water. And over the course of his life, he does not realize the small, gradual changes in his environment. And then by the end of his life, literally, his life is cooked. Solomon is one of those stories. It's a sad story. I mean, it starts out so well, but it ends so poorly. And I'm, I can't think of another story in all the Bible where somebody starts so strong, but he ends so poorly. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take our little friend here, and I've got a hot plate, and I'm going to turn this up to high, and I'm going to just put this little guy in here, and I'm going to let him just kind of rest in there this morning. And what I'd like for you to do throughout the course of our study this morning, I want you to watch me, and I also kind of want you to watch this pot as an example of what is going to happen to Solomon during the course of his life life. 
So our text begins on page 175. Do you got your story Bibles with you today? Would you please open them to page 175? And while you're turning there, let me just briefly remind you that God made a promise to Abraham that out of him he would be the father of a great nation. We know that that nation would become the Israelite nation. And God's entire purpose for doing so was to create a way for him to be in fellowship with his creation. Sin had become a problem, and God said, I'm going to create a nation where I'm going to be in fellowship and communion with my people and this group of people this special nation my nation is going to be an example to all of the world of what it looks like to be a group of people that follow me and they will so desire that and they will so want to be a part of it that they're going to look at this nation and they're going to want to to join them and so God gives them this land and I have walked that land with my own two feet just a few weeks ago and it is a God-blessed land that that God gave them it's a it's it's a it's a wonderful place they wanted kings, so God gave them kings. They started with King Saul. He did not live up to what God wanted him to, to be, and so God took the anointing away from him and gave it to David. David becomes the next king, and David is, is a wonderful king. He represents God very well. We do read about, we learned about this last week, of this one season in his life where he made a, a terrible, terrible mistake, and, and, and we learned that God when he humbled himself, forgave David, and, and, he, and he graciously uh, restored him. And, and it's a reminder to, to us that that same kind of grace, it's the same God, the same kind of grace that he extends to each and every one of us. And so David, as he gets to be an old man, he passes the baton of leadership to one of his sons. And that son's name is Solomon. Now, just in case you're still questioning if God has the power to forgive and forget. If like last week, you're like, I realize that, but I'm still struggling with this idea that God could love me so much that he could forgive me and redeem me. If you're still struggling with that concept today, let me share this with you. That King David, we read, had several wives. Now, we're not gonna get into all that right now, but from these several wives, he had multiple sons, all of whom he could have picked to be the next king. But he chooses Solomon, who is the son that he had with Bathsheba. Yes, that Bathsheba, the one whom he had had an affair with and ended up killing her husband. And they had a son together, and that son died as a consequence of David's sin. But then God blessed David and gave them together a son, and his name was Solomon. Can this serve as a reminder to us, and this may be right here for some of you today, the most important thing you hear today. And you really need to hear this. Can, can the very fact that Solomon, the son of Bathsheba, became the next king of Israel, can that be as a reminder to us that God can take the mess we make and turn it into something beautiful? Can that just serve as an encouragement to us today? That if we will turn to the Lord with a humble heart like David did, he will do the exact same things in each of our lives. So here's how the text begins. It's going to start on page 176 in your story Bibles. This is equivalent to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now think about that. 
Sol- it's like, Solomon, whatever you want, you just ask, I am going to give it to you. And it's like the one place in the Bible where it literally is God's kind of like a genie in a lamp. You know what I said last service? I said, this is like where God's going to be a genie in a bottle. And I had somebody come up to me. He's like, that's kind of a song. It's a genie in a lamp. I'm like, I guess that is the song, genie in a bottle. Okay, anyway. So this is the one time where God's like, whatever you want, whatever you want, I will give it to you. What, what, right now, without thinking of it, if you had that presented to you, what would you pick? First thing that comes to your mind, what would you say? Maybe a natural one would be, I want great wealth. That's a natural one. And if we're being honest, some of you thought, I don't want to be rich. Maybe some of you thought, well, you know what? I want, um, I want power and authority in my world. Maybe some of you thought, if I could wish for it, I would wish for long life. And maybe, you know, some of us are like, yeah, I'm just going to say it. I want the mansion. Maybe some of you thought that way. And so Solomon what does he ask for? Look on, look, let's keep reading. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So, here's what he asked for. Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Folks, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. Whatever you want, Solomon, I'll give it to you. I want wisdom. He's like, God, I'm young, I'm inexperienced, um, I'm going to need your help. I need you to help me like you helped my father David. So I guess if I could ask for anything, just give me a wise and discerning heart to lead these people. And we read in Scripture, this request so pleased God. If you keep reading on page 177, it said, The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. For this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Solomon sounds a lot like his father, doesn't he? We read that and go, now this is a guy that's after his own heart, that's after God's own heart, just like his father. And maybe, maybe God's even saying, wow, you're like David. You're a chip off the old block. I see David in you. Maybe God was thinking about that him as well. And since Solomon asked for wisdom, it so impressed God. He says, not only will I give you that, I'm going to give you all the stuff you didn't ask for as well. And then on page 177, here's the very next thing. And if, if, and if, and if, and if, and if, you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you long life. And then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. But it was a dream that came true. 
God gave him all this wisdom, and it does not take him any time at all to put this wisdom into practice. One of the jobs of the king back in this day is to resolve disputes among the people. And right after God gives him this wisdom, he's got a doozy of a dispute to figure out. There was these two women that both had babies about the same time. And in the middle of the night, they lived, they might have even lived under the same roof. We don't know. But in the middle of the night, one of the babies dies. And so the mother swaps babies. She takes the baby that's alive and gives the dead child in the middle of the night without the mother knowing to the other mother. And so you get the scenario, right? When both moms wake up, she's like, my baby's dead. Wait a minute, that's not my baby. Because the mother knows her baby. And so they take this to the king. You have two mothers claiming that the live baby is theirs. So if that was your job to figure out, how would we figure that out today in our own wisdom? Would we uh, flip a coin and say, I got 50-50? Would we hold the baby up to each mom's face and go, you know, this one's kind of got your nose. How would we figure this out? Here's what Solomon did and this is something that like makes his name spread all over israel as a great man of wisdom he says i know what to do hey one of you guys bring me a saw let's cut this baby in half and give each mom half and there you go now if this is the first time you heard that you're like oh my goodness that's in the bible we're gonna cut i mean that is morbid and and you're right and you'd go nobody would agree to something like that which is exactly solomon's point So the first mom, who wasn't really the mom, said, fair enough, cut them in half. And the real mom says, no, don't do that. Don't don't hurt the baby. Give give the other mom mom a baby because because every mom would do that. No, don't hurt the baby. I want the baby to live. And so Solomon, in his wisdom, recognized that the second mother, the one who wanted no harm to the baby, said, you give that baby to her. That is the real mom mother and this spread all over and people are like he has such great wisdom i heard about a father who was studying about solomon and he was reading the bible and he came across this moment where he was going to cut the baby in two and the father had this idea i'm going to do something like that the next time my kids fight over toy and so it only took like a day and he had a couple of sons and they were fighting over one of those hot wheels cars and they were trying to pry it out of each other's fingers and they were they were fighting each other and his father said stop and he had this like solomon sized teaching moment on his mind and he said sons go out to my garage and get my hacksaw i'm cutting this car in half and both of his boys were like dad that's awesome that is so cool dad And they went and got their entire Hot Wheels collection and said, let's cut them all in half. (laughs) Not, not, Not exactly how he intended for that to go. So Solomon had this incredible wisdom. Um, that quite honestly nobody has ever seen or heard before. And not only did he have this kind of wisdom, but he was an author as well. And so he wrote down a lot, a lot of the things that God was putting in his mind that he was sharing with people, people were coming to sit at his feet and listen. He wrote those things down and he would share them with people and they, became, they got preserved all throughout time. You know, the, the, the Solomon is responsible for writing three books of the Bible. Do you know what they are? He wrote Proverbs, he wrote Ecclesiastes, and he wrote the Song of Solomon. Now, one thing that's a little bit challenging with the Bible, and you're, you're, this is why you appreciate the story so much, 
is because when you read the Bible, you know, the books are arranged kind of topically. So you've got historical books, you've got wisdom, poetry writings, and you've got prophetic writings. And, and so you read about Solomon, and then all of a sudden you hit a poetry book, and you're like, whoa, I'm lost. The wonderful thing about what the story does is that it takes many of Solomon's Proverbs, and it kind of overlays them with the story of Solomon. So you kind of see how they go together. And so Solomon wrote down a lot of these little proverbs, or, you know, it's a, it's a book full of sayings. I would say they're little gold nuggets of wisdom and truth. They're these little pithy sayings that, that he wrote down, and he literally wrote down hundreds of them. And, and why should we pay attention to them? A, because it's the inspired word of God, and it's coming from the hand and the mind of who God said was the wisest person who ever walked the earth. And if you had writings by somebody who God said was the wisest person who ever walked the earth, would it be wise of us to not pay attention to them? So in your story Bibles, there's several pages dedicated just to these Proverbs that Solomon wrote. The whole book of Proverbs, they've, they've picked a selection of them. And I went through our story, story books, and I, and I picked out a few of them as well that I wanted to, to point out to you. And in a lot of the Proverbs, what's really fascinating, you read them and you see that early on in Solomon's life, he writes about a lot of the pots of lukewarm water that we should avoid in this world. So we read things like this on page 179. This is the wisdom that says, fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's another one on page 180. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Sometimes that's easier said than done, isn't it? In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Here's, here's one that, that I believe he's, he's highlighting to the fact that this is sometimes a, a, a lukewarm pot of water that we can sometimes get into. It says this on page 180. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. There's a lot of Proverbs about what we do with God's blessing of money and resources. And he says a lot of wisdom about those things because you might find yourself in a lukewarm pot of water. Here's one, page 181. Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look to find nothing. The Lord's like, don't be lazy. That's a, that's a pot of warm water you don't want to get into. Here's one. A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Stay out of that pot of water. Here's one that on page 181 that I, I'm still trying to figure out. It says, the glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair, the splendor of the old. And at 41 and bald, I don't know where I fit in that. <laughs> I'm kind of in the middle. I don't know. A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart page 183 those who guard their mouths and keep them keep themselves those excuse me those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamities he's saying there's a pot of lukewarm water that your mouth can get you into i get this impression when i read proverbs 
that this kind of wisdom just kind of oozed out of him. And like he would talk to people, say, oh, that's good, I need to write that down. Well, if you keep moving along in the story, we learn that during the fourth year of King Solomon's reign as king, he decides to move forward and build the temple that his father wanted to build. Remember David? He wanted to build this magnificent temple, and God said, nope, not you. You've got blood on your hands. You're a warrior king, and I'm going to let your son, who is going to be a different kind of king, a peaceful king, I'm going to let him build the temple. So David spends a lot of his life collecting the resources, but it would be Solomon who actually builds the temple, and he does a magnificent job. You read the description um, in chapter 13, and then the expanded description in the book of 1 Kings, and you go, wow, this was awesome. It was patterned after the tabernacle, and it was just magnificent. It took seven years to build this thing. Over over 180,000 laborers to build it, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful structure. Now, that structure is long gone. It's not there anymore, but I can tell you, as somebody who just walked very near to the place that this temple once stood, that was a special thing. That was a very special thing. Now, that temple's long gone, and, and actually, the Bible says something about that here in just a minute. But after the temple was finished, the priests, they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And this is what happened. Look on page 186 of your storybooks. This is 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10. When the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. We've read something like that before, haven't we? At the tabernacle time, how did they know God was with them? Because the cloud came and enveloped the tent. It's the same kind of thing. They brought the Ark of the Covenant, they put it in the Holy of Holies, and then the presence of God filled it, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And I just wonder how incredible must that have been. And as I stood there at the Wailing Wall, thinking about the Temple Mount, where this temple once stood, and I sat back and I thought, how incredible had that have been to be standing right here and seeing the glory of the Lord fill the temple. It had to have been awesome absolutely awesome that's what they're experiencing if you haven't read all of chapter 13 you really need to this is a remarkable read and then if you're ambitious go and read all of first kings and read all of this so at the end of the dedication of the temple there was this huge party thrown and they dedicate the lord solomon prayed it's just powerful powerful stuff at the end of all that it's nighttime solomon's about ready to go to bed and the lord comes to visit solomon this is now the second time in his young reign as king that, that God came to talk to him. And it says this on page 188 at the bottom. He says, Solomon, as for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. And as I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne in Israel. That's an incredible promise. If you will follow me. But then it came with a warning. Look on page 189. But then God says this. But if, but if, but if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands 
and the decrees I have given you, and go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them, and I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. I told you, it's not there anymore. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? And people will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all of this disaster on them. So after this, Solomon's popularity skyrockets like nobody had ever seen before. Leaders from all over the world, they come to see Solomon. They want to sit at his feet. They want to hear his wisdom. They want to see with their own eyes what is going on in Israel. And the Bible tells us that it was his fame, it was his wealth, it was his wisdom that had become so great that even this famous historical person, the Queen of Sheba, comes to see Solomon. She wants to see with her own eyes. And before we talk about any more about the Queen of Sheba's visit, let's just stop for a minute. And I think it'd be really easy to go, you know what? The Lord did it. Look at this. The Lord did it. Remember, his goal was to do what? Create a nation that was wholly devoted to him. That would be an example to all the rest of the world of, of, of God's blessing and want to draw all people to himself. Everyone this was God's goal. Everyone would look at the nation of Israel and go, we want to be like them. We want to know more about them. And they would just be drawn to God's people. And we see this lavish temple. We see the prosperity throughout the land. And it attracted the, exactly the kind of attention God intended. And world, word traveled fast about what was happening in Israel. They did it. They did it. The Queen of Sheba said, right before she returned home, this is on page 190, Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness from the mouth of an unbeliever. Solomon, this chapter is called Solomon the King Who Had It All. Th this really is an appropriate title for this chapter. After all these years of struggle, from the 40 years of wandering in the desert to God giving them the promised land and all that it took to take possession of it, then entering into the time of Judges, where it's 330 years where the Israelites did whatever they saw fit. Some followed God, some didn't. Then at the end of that, he gave them kings. Saul didn't work out. David was a great king. And now Solomon, and it's like... They did it. They have, they have arrived. But at the end of Solomon's life, at the end of his 40-year reign over Israel, we discover this sad truth about Solomon. He got cooked. Everything was great. Everything was going his way. But something happened. On the final two pages of our chapter, which is 1 Kings chapter 11, we learn 
that there was trouble brewing. We learn that there was trouble arising. We see Solomon getting into all kinds of things. We see this in other places of the Bible. But Solomon is like this supreme case of someone who starts out so strong, but yet he finishes so poorly. And the question is, what happened to Solomon? Somewhere along the way, we don't know exactly when it happened, but somewhere along the way, Solomon decided to jump into a pot of warm water. And he did not recognize that there was a burner underneath him that was slowly cooking him. He couldn't see it. And on page 191 of the story, um, it tells us what this lukewarm pot of water was. Do you see it? It says this, page 191. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, he loved a lot of women besides his wife. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. That's a lot. And his wives did what? They led him astray. And as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart to other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, and the heart of David, his, as, his, as the heart of David had been. He followed Asareth, the goddess of the Sidians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. And is that not a tragic way to go out? And then the Lord says on page one, uh, on 192, it says how the Lord felt about it. It says, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Do you understand what, what the Lord is saying? I appeared to you two times and you still turned away from me. What's it going to take? So the question is, how in the world did Solomon go from like God's man leading the nation to its dream state? This is what we always envision. The, 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 I mean, the, the picture that God always wanted. How did Solomon go from that? How did he go from that to where he ended? How did he get himself in this pot of water? Well, he jumped in just like anyone else would. He was attracted to it. It looked nice. And in all of his wisdom, maybe he thought this. Maybe in all of his wisdom, he's sitting in that pot and he's going, I can handle this. I got this. I can handle this. This isn't out of my control. Maybe in all of his wisdom, he thought, I'm too smart to let this get out of hand. Maybe he thought, I'm different than everyone else. I'm Solomon. I wrote the Proverbs. This isn't anything for me. Maybe he actually thought, you know what? If, if it gets out of hand, I'll just jump out. It's hard to know what was going through his mind. But this is what the Bible tells us, that 
over time, it says, as he got older. Do you understand this didn't happen overnight? Do you understand that as he got older, year after year, he didn't get out of the pot and things were starting to change and the heat was starting to, but it was so slow, it was so gradual, he didn't notice. And it says year after year, it took a long time as he got older. And it's just like the frog sitting in the water. It doesn't know it's getting hot. It doesn't know it's getting cooked. And by the time he became an old man and he was in a weakened state, it was too late. He was cooked. You know, I think the application to this message is, is pretty easy, isn't it? We don't want anybody in this room to climb into a lukewarm pot of water and underneath not knowing that there is a flame that is slowly cooking you. You know, in all of my years of ministry, I have never met anybody who just woke up one morning and declared to himself, I'm going to ruin my life today. Did you know that? And I don't mean to be too funny about that, but it's true. I, I've, I've yet to meet anybody that just said, ah, this is the day I'm going to ruin it. I've never met anybody like that. I doubt you have either. Nobody that says, you know, I'm going to ruin my relationships with my family. I'm, I'm, I'm going to commit adultery today. I'm just going to do that. I've never met anybody who said that. I never met the businessman who just one day decided, I'm going to embezzle money from my company. And just decided, just on a whim. Never met a woman who just decided, today's the day. I'm going to become an alcoholic. I've never met anybody like that. But sadly, I do know plenty of men who've lost their marriages and lost their businesses. I know women who have been in re rehab many times. And if they could talk, you know what they would tell you? They would probably say something like this. Man, the water just didn't feel that hot. The water just didn't feel that hot. How do we avoid lukewarm pots of water? I mean, I think we, we get the analogy, right? That, that, that we can get into things and, and it changes around us and we're not paying attention. All of a sudden we're boiling. How, how do we avoid that? Can I offer you two quick suggestions? There's plenty more, but let me just start with two. I think the first one is this. As followers of Jesus Christ who are tasked with carrying the good news of the gospel and to be an example to all the world. And truly, we may be the only Bible that anybody ever reads our very lives. You know what? I think with that kind of responsibility, we have to do this. We have to desire to finish strong. We have to desire to finish strong. I, I don't think it's just something, ah, oh, one day I'm going to skip and hop and hopefully get there in a strong path. No, no. We have to decide every day, I'm going to make this day about the Lord. I'm going to finish strong, and I'm going to resist temptation. I'm going to be aware, and I'm going to bring people in my life who are going to call me out on stuff because I don't want to be there. So we got a desire to finish strong. And I think, too, we should ask for wisdom often. It's the very thing that pleased God about Solomon. It's still the very thing that pleases us. And by the time we get to the New Testament, in the book of James, what does it say? If any of you lacks what? If any of you lacks wisdom, what should you do about it? You should ask God, who does what with that request? Gives you wisdom, and he gives it to you freely. You imagine, you think about God this way, that he's up in heaven saying, ask me, and I've got all the wisdom in the world for you to help you through anything. Ask for wisdom. And let me ask you this. When was the last time you asked God for a wise and discerning heart more than you asked God to bless you with material things? You ever think maybe that you don't have the material things because you don't have the wisdom that comes with it? 
So, so we need to desire to finish strong, and we need to ask for wisdom often. You know, perhaps the best advice that Solomon offers to us may be this. Be very careful about jumping into pots of lukewarm water. Be, ve- be very careful. Because there's some harmless pots of water out there. And maybe you remember like his father David, he jumped into a lukewarm pot of water once. You know where he jumped in at? On his roof. For the harmless little walk along the roof. That's where he jumped into a harmless pot of lukewarm water. And it started to boil. This is funny, isn't it? (laughs) I really wanted him to look more dead. But let me end with this, in all seriousness. But if you've already jumped in that pot of water, and you're already feeling cooked, then we have to remember this. And I I think some of you, this is going to mean a lot. We have to remember that with God, it's never too late to come back to Him, even if we are a little bit wrinkled and a bit overdone. It's never too late to come back to Him. Because our God is a God, if you learn anything, says that if you'll just humble yourself before me, I don't care if you're about to boil to death, if you'll just turn your heart to me and repent, I'll get you out of the water. And that's what we call grace. True wisdom leads us to depend on God and to truly trust him that he knows what's best for our lives. So, friends, if you're in some lukewarm water, be aware of what you're sitting in. And if you're already in a pot that's boiling, you might be a little wrinkled and you might be a little cooked. But God can pull you right out of there. Turn your heart to him. He loves you. He's a grace-filled God. Let me pray.